Jobs aren't won and lost during OTAs, but players can certainly bolster their stock in May and June practices. Which Seahawks have a chance to do that on the defensive side of the football? Rob Rang and I are going to discuss and debate on the latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked on Seahawks. Joining me for our Wednesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. As always, we greatly appreciate it. Jam-packed episode coming your way. We're going to continue a two-part series. Yesterday, we looked at some breakout candidates on the offensive side of the football to watch during OTAs. We're going to flip to defense and look at some breakout players on that side of the football Plus, we'll be looking at off-ball linebackers, the Mike and Will off-ball linebackers for today's episode. So without further ado, let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks, a monumental figure in Seahawks history has passed away. John Thompson, the first general manager in franchise history, passed away on Tuesday. His son, Mike, reported the news. He was 95 years old and For a lot of our younger listeners, this may not be a name that rings a bell, but John Thompson, not only a significant part of Seahawks history, Rob, this is a guy that was in the NFL for more than 30 years. He helped orchestrate the Purple People Eaters, the Minnesota Vikings, built that roster in the 60s into the early 70s, and he was involved with collective bargaining before he ended up taking this job with the Seahawks in 1975, helped pick the team name and and the colors. So this was a big-time figure in Seahawks history that helped get this franchise on the road and obviously turned it into a pretty successful one. You can thank him and the people that really built this franchise from the outset. Yeah, the the North, Nordstrom family, the Jack Patera as, as head coach, uh, you know, I mean, they're they're monumental in, in the the heights that the Seahawks have reached since uh, that time. You know, I, I think that with, with John Thompson, you know, I mean, the, the the Seahawks as a franchise were born, of course, in 1976, and, and that is the year that I was born as well. So I, I can't sit here and tell you that I have all of these memories of, of, of John Thompson, uh, you know, uh, Patera, uh, and, and the early days of, of the Seahawks as a, as a franchise. But at the same time, I think that the legacy speaks of its, its for itself. I mean, you just mentioned the fact that, that he was critical, um, in, in the Seahawks choosing their, the colors, uh, you know, blue and green and, and silver. Um, the, the fact that the, that he was the one who kind of presided over, um, the fan based movement to name the club, the Seahawks. Um, you know, of course there is no other professional sports team that that's named that. And then the Seahawks, uh, at least according to reports, including one from Bob Condota, Seattle times, uh, you know, kind of illuminated this, this whole point that, the uh, 
the, the franchise that later became known as the Seahawks, they had some kind of internal ideas of what they were going to name the, their football team. Um, and they yet they opened it up to fans. And the Seahawks was a name that was submitted. And I think that it was such a perfect name. I mean, because it, it does, as a quote, I believe that you you have for us, um, is it, going to explain, it, it does talk about the, you know, just kind of the, the aggression uh, of a, a predatory bird. And of course, the the local Pacific Northwest kind of ties the Native American indigenous people uh, kind of ties to all of those things that, uh, you know, just kind of become embodied with the name, the Seattle Seahawks, the fact that they were Super Bowl champions when, you know, fortunately, Mr. Thompson was, uh, was, was around um, at, during that time and to be able to still be a Seahawk fan um, at that point, I think that this is a, you know, a fitting tribute here. That, that we, even though there's a lot of, of Seahawks fans out there now that, that don't know, um, you know, who he is, John Thompson was a, was a great man in Seahawks history and, as you said, in NFL history as well. Yeah, as you mentioned, there were some team names, some mascot names that were being talked about internally, but Thompson was one of the leaders that presided over a fan vote where they had a poll and you know, fans were able to throw out their names and the Seahawks ended up being the one that they picked. And there's a quote that jumps out to me that was from John Thompson when they were announcing the name in 1975 that the Seahawks indeed were going to be the Seahawks. He said, our name shows aggressiveness, reflects our soaring Northwest heritage and belongs to no other major league team. The fans did suggest the name. It was not one of our original working selections. So again, you know, you want to be a general manager that really gets the fans on your side for a franchise that's an expansion franchise. Let the fans feel like they are involved in this process. And that's what Thompson and everybody else that presided over the start of this football team ended up doing. And then they picked the colors that were so different from any other team out there with blue, green, and silver. It just it ended up being the perfect fit in terms of mascot and the Jersey colors. You have plenty of fans out there that wish the Seahawks would go back to those colors instead of the ones they changed to at the turn of the century. They're going to be bringing back their throwbacks next year. Thankfully have a chance to see those silver helmets in 2023, but some other things that Thompson accomplished aside from just picking a team name and the color scheme for the Seahawks, he hired Jack Patera, as you mentioned, coach of the year in 1978. Remember, this is a team that was an expansion team that was terrible, won two games in 76. They were 9-7 and seven two years later, knocking on the door of the playoffs. So Patera got coach of the year. The Seahawks made a very good selection for who was going to run the franchise on the sidelines to start. Even though they weren't competitive the first couple of years, that was a really good hire by Thompson. And look at some of the players that were drafted during his time with the team as well. They got Steve August as their first first-round pick. Had some really good players they selected in the late 70s and early 80s. And that built that foundation for the teams in the 80s that Kenny Easley and company were leading to the postseason. Almost got to the Super Bowl as a surprise in 1983. So maybe not a name that fans are overly familiar with, but... He was one of the architects that really brought this franchise along early, allowed this team to be competitive pretty early on in its infant years, so to speak, as a franchise. And so uh, there's a big passing, a monumental passing for the Seahawks when you look at the history of the organization. 
Yeah, no, no question about it. And as you mentioned, I mean, he he hired Jack Patera, who was coach of the year. Pete Carroll's never earned that, uh, you know, award. Uh, Thompson himself was named NFL Executive of, of the Year. You know, a year later, uh, John Schneider has never earned that award. Um, so I think that you know, again, that there, you know, kind of it's a little bit of history lesson here uh, to start off our our show, but an important one, just because of the fact that the Thompson was absolutely critical. I um, mean, in the Seahawks becoming the you know the 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 elite franchise that they've become, frankly, just be on and off the field. And I, again, I think that the, the the small town kind of sticking to your your Seattle area roots, um, you know, just rings so true. I mean, this is a guy who was born and raised in South Bend, Washington. He went to the the University of Washington, South Bend. For those of you who haven't had the 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 opportunity to go to beautiful little fishing village that it is in Pacific County in our state. I mean, it is not a big bustling city. And to see a man like Thompson go from a small town like that to ha- to the heights that that he did, not only with the Seahawks but in the NFL as a whole and Minnesota Vikings where he you know, kind of cut his teeth, where he and Jack Patera helped, helped build that uh, and Bud Grant, of course, as well, helped build that that great Minnesota defensive line. I mean, it's almost like, you know, he, he understood even then what actually was going to win consistently in the NFL, and that is defensive line talent. And it's this, in my mind, kind of the perfect segue because we had talked previously, Corbin, that we were going to be breaking down defensive breakout players, and and Jack Thompson already knew that so many years ago. Yeah, as you mentioned, we're going to be going to our defensive breakout candidates in a moment, but to close it out, our thoughts and prayers go out to all family members and friends of Jack Thompson. Again, a big loss for not just the Seahawks, but the NFL community, a guy that dedicated his life to the league, did a lot of great things, a lot of different hats that he wore during his time in the NFL as well. Very multi-talented individual. Our thoughts are with his family and friends during this difficult time. Coming up, we're going to be looking at defensive breakout players. We looked at offensive players yesterday. Who do Rob and I think have a chance to really stand out in OTAs and minicamp and take that momentum into the 2022 season? Find out when we return here on Locked on Seahawks. Before we get to our breakout defensive players, I want to talk to you about a product my wife and I use literally every day. We started taking AG1 from Athletic Greens because we want an easy, delicious way of improving our gut health And with AG1, we found it. With one delicious scoop of this green canister of AG1, we, and you as well, could be absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's lifestyle-friendly. We drink it the first thing in the morning, even before our coffee. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting good. We've experienced better, sounder sleep and recovery. It supports mental clarity and alertness. Athletic Greens doesn't just make it easy to get healthy. It's easy to get too. That's because Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NFL Network. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash NFL Network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. 
You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Wednesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Make sure to check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast for your second listen. The biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. It's available on Odyssey, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. Continuing our two-part series, yesterday, Rob, we had a chance to look at some offensive players that have an opportunity to break out during OTAs and minicamp and take some of that momentum into the regular season. Now we're going to flip to the other side of the football on defense. And the Seahawks, like we mentioned yesterday on offense, the Seahawks have a number of players that in the past have used OTAs and minicamp to kind of make a name for themselves. In recent years, it's been the defensive tackle position. Puna Ford and Brian Monet, both being undrafted rookies, really made some noise during these practices in May and June. And they took that momentum into training camp to earn spots on the 53-man roster. So who do you think has a chance to maybe do that, or at least a player on the roster, a chance to be a breakout player that can build momentum here over the next couple weeks? Well, I, I think that the easy answer would be Cody Barton. I mean, obviously, he is being asked to go move into that that starting role, and and we've seen some flashes of what he was able to do previously. Um, I I'm really intrigued because one of the the concerns I had about him coming out of Utah was I just didn't think that he was thick enough in his backside and his lower half, and I didn't think that he would be strong enough to be able to take on would-be uh, blockers and, and be able to shed them at the point of attack and be able to make plays in the hole. And that, that's exactly what he is going to be asked to do in a little in, in Seattle's version of that 3-4 scheme. Uh, at the same time, I love his athletic ability. I love his intelligence, his instincts. Uh, I really think that he is a guy who's going to make some splashy plays, I think, over the these mini camps, OTAs, um, and, and really kind of create a little bit of buzz for himself and become a superstar right alongside Jordan Brooks, of course, at the inside linebacker position. And Barton's just been such a good practice player the last three years. So there's kind of that quiet excitement to finally see what he's going to be able to do playing regular snaps on defense and clearly by the actions of the Seahawks, not drafting a linebacker, not really making any big splashy signings at the position. We'll have a chance to look at that in the next quarter. But those decisions, those actions indicate the confidence the organization has in him going to the last year of his rookie contract. And he's going to look to seize that opportunity. I'm going to slide out to the outside linebackers for my pick. And this one is the really easy selection for me. My other one might surprise some listeners, but I got to go with DT52, Daryl Taylor. And he had a really intriguing pseudo-rookie season for the Seahawks last year. Started off with four sacks in the first five games. It looked like he was going to be a double-digit sack guy. And we know he didn't play the year before. He missed the entire season coming off of leg surgery. So to have that kind of a start and force a strip sack in the game against the Vikings in week three, I mean, he was flying all over the place. We saw him winning with power. We saw him winning with speed. And he could have had six or seven sacks in those first five or six games because he was not flattening out the top of this rush like we saw at Tennessee. That was the one issue early in the season that was a problem. And then he got hurt, that scary injury in Pittsburgh. Luckily, ended up not being serious, only missed one game. But it just didn't seem like he was the same player coming back from that injury. In the second half, only had two and a half sacks in the final eight games 
wasn't getting after the quarterback as much, saw his pressure rate go down. Part of me thinks that might have also been it was his first NFL season, and it's much different than playing at the college level when you've got a 17-game schedule. Guys get worn down. So now that he's experienced that once and played in most of the games last season, I expect that he is going to go into this year in just a different level of physical shape, ready for that 17-game schedule. And with that, I'm expecting him to explode in the sack column. And in this scheme, with his speed, he is the perfect 3-4 outside linebacker with his ability to pin his ears back. He's got you know plenty of comfort dropping back in coverage when he needs to. He did that at Tennessee. So this is not unfamiliar territory for him. I just think with him playing out wide as one of those three, four outside linebackers, the potential to get 10, 11, 12 sacks, I think is pretty high. And that would be a huge deal for Clint Hurts' defense. It absolutely would be critical. I mean, they, they need somebody to step up. And I agree with you, Corbin. I think that, that Daryl Taylor is the Seattle's best pass rusher. And, and so I do expect him to uh, be, um, you know, right there in that mix for 10 plus sacks uh, this upcoming season. I think that he is a huge reason why. Seattle decides to make that transition to the three, four defense because of the fact that Daryl Taylor does have that upfield speed that he can, uh, you know, turn the corner pretty quickly when he is right. Um, but at the same time, he has got to be right. And that's one of the reasons why I think that Ichena Nuosu, the, the free agent addition from the Los Angeles chargers, I think is a, is a really important addition to this roster. Um, you know, whereas Taylor has great speed and quickness and flexibility, be able to turn dip and ripper and get around the corner. Nuosu is physical. Uh, and his heavy hands, his ability to win at the point of attack, his just physical, his, his nastiness. This is a really competitive, physical kind of player. I think that it's a great compliment to what Daryl Taylor has, to what Boye Mafe uh, is going to be able to provide as that kind of change up off of the bench, so to speak. Um, you know, so to me, I, I'm going to focus in on Nuosu here. I really think that he is going to be an underrated performer, uh, or at least underrated from a, a lot of perspectives in terms of that. I think that everybody is going to focus in on Taylor and, and Boye Mafe and, and not focus in on Nuosu, who I think is, in a is a decent bet to wind up leading the Seahawks and Sacks this upcoming season. He has that experience in the 3-4 rush linebacker uh, scheme, and that's one of the reasons why he, he decided to go to Seattle in the first place. So to me, he is a player that, that makes an awful lot of sense. But I know that there's some uh, other defensive linemen that we both believe are better suited to the 3-4 scheme than the 4-3 mostly alignment that Seattle used a year ago. Yeah, I'm going to go to the trenches, the defensive tackles for my second one. And it's weird, you know, putting a player like LJ Collier in breakout player uh territory when he's coming off such a disappointing season and really his career to this point has been disappointing he had a solid 2020 but his rookie year he had three tackles in 11 games then last year eight tackles in 10 games it was a healthy scratch for seven games and the more that I have looked at how things played out last year I think there was one common denominator that ended up dooming LJ Collier last season and it was his weight. And this is going to sound weird because most of the time we have these conversations, you're usually talking about a player coming in too heavy or coming out of shape. That was not the case at all for LJ Collier. He showed up at camp last year between 275 and 280 pounds. He was as lean as he's been in a long time. Really great physical shape. But 
they were playing a lot of snaps with him reduced inside. And at 275 pounds range, he was getting blown off the football. He just didn't have enough weight. He wasn't thick enough. He wasn't powerful enough. And he didn't have enough burst. He's never going to have enough burst to be a true edge guy in the NFL. And so I'm looking at it this way after seeing him on Monday, the first OTA. He looks like he's about the same size he was coming into the league now in that 290 to 295 range. And to me, that is a good thing. I'm not sitting here on the show saying LJ Collier showed up out of shape. He looks like he is in great shape, but he is much bigger. And I think that he is going to benefit immensely from that because they're going to be playing him in this 3-4 scheme. He's going to be playing three technique or four-eye technique. You're going to be having a lot of double teams. If he was 275, 280 pounds, he is going to get dominated. But at 290, 295 pounds, maybe even pushing 300, he's going to have a much better chance of being able to hold up at the point of attack. And he still looked like he had plenty of burst to me. I don't think this is a guy that losing 15, 20 pounds suddenly makes him a speed demon. But at 295, 300, he can still move really well with his defensive end background. To me, that is the right size for him to be. This is a great scheme for him. And I think we could see a bit of an awakening from him going into his final year in his rookie contract playing in this scheme, even though his role is not going to be all that different. I just think at the size that he's going to be playing at, he's going to have a much better chance to be successful playing as that heavy-handed pass rushing interior defensive lineman rather than trying to be a defensive end when the athleticism and the burst just wasn't there. Exactly. Uh, you know, you said it heavy handed. He's got long arms. The same kind of questions I mentioned before about Cody Barton being a little bit light in the posterior. LJ Collier is not light in, in his lower half. He is very powerful. And and you know, Pete Carroll kind of talked about Corbin. He, he said that, you know, that LJ Collier was like flexing. I mean, I think he, he was kind of referring to the greater size that Collier has. I 100% agree with you. I think that this is that Collier is a terrific fit in 3 4 defense. I think that he is going to carve out significant playing time not because he's a former first round pick because i think he, he's going to earn it i think that his size his physicality his versatility along the defensive line i think that he is catered uh perfectly built for a three four scheme and he is going to be able to hold up some of those blockers he's not a guy who's ever going to be a, a big time sack guy he's not like he doesn't have that that quick twitch he never did but at the same time, he is strong. He does not get pushed back. Anybody who remembers that, you know, that opening game uh, against what was New England Patriots, I believe, where he made the play. I mean, he was the guy that that pushed them back uh, and was able to kind of create that play. Um, you know, that is the kind of thing that LJ Collier can do very well. And that's what the 3-4 alignment is going to ask him to do much more often than uh, something where he was asked to penetrate and be a quick twitch kind of guy off the edge. That's just not his game. He is better suited to this. I think that the Seahawks are going to be a lot happier with his production this upcoming season. And I'm just going to bring it up one more time. I mean, I don't know what his weight was in 2020, but he was lighter last year. He showed up in that 275, 280 range. And maybe that's what the Seahawks wanted him to do. I'm assuming that's what they advised him to do. And it just didn't work. He is better suited to be heavier and play with a thicker frame. That is his, that plays into his strengths. And so for that reason, I think that there's a lot of potential here for him to make some noise this year. Maybe it's a Rashad Penny year four type rebirth. And maybe he's one of those guys that it just every other year really turns it on. Cause I thought he played fairly well in 2020, but 
they're going to be banking on him to be a guy that can at least be a situational rusher at defensive tackle that can do some damage, collapse the pocket, get some pressure on quarterbacks. And if he's able to do that, he can have a nice bounce back season. These next few weeks are going to be big for him trying to carve out a role after last year, ending up in the doghouse and not really having a role for this team for a good chunk of the season. We're going to continue our position by position depth chart review coming up in a moment, flipping to our first defensive position group. We already mentioned Cody Barton, but we're going to be looking at the rest of the off-ball linebackers, your Mike and Will linebackers on Seattle's defense when we return. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting and waging informational needs. From live betting to the playoffs, esports, and more, head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Continuing our position-by-position depth chart review. We do this every year once OTA start because this is probably going to be, aside from a few transactions here and there, This is going to be the roster the Seahawks have when training camp opens at the end of July. There will be a few signings at the end of the roster. There always are. There will be some shuffling during OTAs. They'll look at a guy for a few days, then they'll bring in somebody else. But I wouldn't expect any other major moves unless they're going to bring in a quarterback, Baker Mayfield maybe. That's something that still maybe is out there. But otherwise, I wouldn't expect any big moves. So we looked at running backs yesterday. Now we're going to talk about the guys that are supposed to be making the tackles on running backs, the off-ball linebackers. And like the quarterback position, it's a big transitional period for Seattle. No Bobby Wagner, number 54, now wearing 45 with the Los Angeles Rams after being released. So it's officially Jordan Brooks and Cody Barton's season on Clint Hurts' defense. Yeah, I think the Seahawks are going to have an awful lot of success at the linebacker position. Look, I all do respect to Bobby Wagner. I mean, he is a future Hall of Famer. But at the same time, I think that we saw a, a troubling lack of big plays, plays at the line of scrimmage or preferably behind the line of scrimmage from Wagner over the last couple of seasons. I, I know that he was viewed by some as a, as a top 10 uh, linebacker a year ago. I mean, even getting the All-Pro. Uh, votes, but at the same time, I, I just didn't see that type of guy. I thought that Jordan Brooks was very clearly, uh, you know, took a next step and, and took over as the, uh, you know, as the best linebacker on this team a year ago, and I expect him to continue to do so. Not only statistically, we all know that he broke the the franchise record for the most tackles last season, um, but I think that he is going to kind of be even more productive this upcoming year. And then, of course, the aforementioned Cody Barton, a guy who I expect to to really make some eye popping place he's done that his entire career made eye-popping plays i want to see him become a more consistent player more stout against the run if he is able to do that i think that he is going to be a player like you mentioned lj collier this uh, in that last segment, Corbin, I think that Cody Barton fully recognizes that this is the final year of his rookie deal as well, and he is in a position to absolutely eat up production, perhaps get a big contract from Seattle or somebody else next after next season. And the Seahawks are going to be banking that they can bottle up how Cody Barton played in the two starts that he had, and really one of them was not a start, but he played 99% of the game for Bobby Wagner against the Detroit Lions, so it was a start for him. 
in terms of workload, but how he played those last two games, if he can bottle that up and he can play like that for an entire season, he's going to get paid next year because he's an athletic linebacker that can cover. If he racks up a bunch of tackles next to Jordan Brooks and fits in seamlessly with his 3-4 defense, the Seahawks or somebody else is going to pay him, especially with his special teams ability. There will be money out there for him. He's only going to be 26 next year. So, yeah, young linebacker coming off a big season. This is a big opportunity for him. Now, we expect those two to be the projected starters. Jordan Brooks, he's got an all-pro ceiling. He already got an all-pro vote last year, 184 tackles. He is now the guy. He's wearing the green dot in his helmet. He's the defensive play caller. He's going to be stepping up as a leader. We are expecting a huge season, number three for Jordan Brooks. Let's talk the biggest wild card from this group, though. And this one's actually fascinating because there are two guys coming back from torn ACLs and Ben Burkirvan and John Radigan. I'm going to go with one of those guys as my wild card here, and that's John Radigan because last year I thought Radigan was a revelation on special teams. This is a guy that really fit in well with Barton and Nick Ballore. He had double-digit tackles on special teams. And Pete Carroll, there's just something about the way that he has talked about this kid coming from Army and the leadership intangibles that he brings to the table, how well he played on defense when he finally got into a preseason game, number three last year. There's just something about the way that Pete Carroll's talked about him that tells me if he can get back healthy from his torn ACL, I've been told he's way ahead of progress. I don't know if that means he's got any chance to be ready for the start of the regular season because he did tear that ACL back in December, so much later than Burke Hervin. But with his special team's ability, a really good athlete, great head on his shoulders, he could be a guy that could be somebody to keep a very close eye on who down the road could be playing some snaps on defense at either the Mike or Will linebacker spot for the Seahawks. Yeah, a good football player and a good player to to highlight here in terms of wild cards. I mean, as you mentioned, coming off the ACL um, and at the same time also as a very good football player. Um, I, I, he has a, a frame that I think, um, you know, lends itself pretty well to the three, four scheme, whereas Tanner Muse, the linebacker that I'm going to highlight here, um, I don't think has the, the same, the same kind of frame I mean, six two, 235 pounds, kind of a longer, leaner, kind of an athlete, a former safety, kind of like Cody Barton. I had mentioned while I'm excited about him at the same time, also have some reservations about does he, does he have the frame to hold up and, and be able to take on those blocks? blockers um to me the, the tanner muse is is very much that same type of a guy but at the same time i'm really intrigued by what he might be able to offer you in terms of special teams and this is the guy who runs in the four fours you know so i mean absolutely unbelievable athlete um you know of course played his college ball with all due respect to the army and john radigan um you know the, tanner muse played his college ball at clemson was winning national championships you know and, and so we know that pete carroll and john shiner have always preferred uh players that have that type of a pedigree especially you know athleticism as well as just what what the level of college play that they had so 
to me, he is a wild card, the very definition of a wild card, because I, I think you can make an argument that he could make Seattle's roster. I think you can make an argument that that he is the rawest uh, of the all of the linebackers on, on Seattle's team. Um, you know, and that's including the undrafted free agents. You know, I mean, so uh, he is a guy that's intriguing. I'm really excited to see what he might be able to offer. See, I think that he offers them a little bit more flexibility, but at the same time, that it's like flexibility also can be a little bit of a detriment because you don't want to be a jack of all trades. You want to be a master of one kind of a thing sometimes. And that's where I have my questions about Tanner Muse. Looking at sleepers now, we shift from wild card to sleeper. Maybe the guy that's being overlooked, not being talked about, forgotten. And there were a few guys that I considered here. I was going to go with Ben Burkirvin because he missed all of last season with the torn ACL and was such a productive player at Washington. But I'm going to go with a player, and we'll see if I can get his name correct here, Joel E.A. Booneyway. E.A. Booneyway, I got it. Iggy himself, coming from the Chicago Bears, has been a special team standout for Chicago the last four seasons. I believe he's got less than 50 defensive snaps to his name. And maybe that was part of the frustration for him, that he just didn't feel like he was valued in Chicago as he should have been. He thought he maybe should have gotten some opportunities to play on defense. You've got Sean Desai now being the associate head coach, was the defensive coordinator for the Bears a year ago, so he knows Iggy really well. This is a kid that's still a young player, maybe an ascending talent that was a day three selection, has good athletic traits, decent size. He might be another guy to keep a close eye on because if Cody Barton somehow doesn't make things work how Seattle hopes he will, then maybe this is a situation where EA Booneyway could come in and get some snaps and be a good fit because of that familiarity that he has with Sean Desai. Uh, very well said, my friend. I mean, that's the thing. I, I remember back in the day when Mike Holmgren became the head coach, uh, you know, and Graham Puba of the Seattle Seahawks, and it was just, it was seemed so obvious to me that he would trade for Matt Hasselbeck because he knew him in Green Bay. So the same thing here with Iwe Bounier and Sean Desai. I mean, the familiarity there, the fact that Seattle is doing a whole new scheme, you're going to want a guy who has some familiarity with your defense to so you be able to kind of coach up the rest of them. And, oh, by the way, is a terrific athlete as well. So I, I, I love this idea of him as a sleeper. Uh, I think he would have been absolutely one of the, the top candidates that I would have mentioned as well. But Vi Jones, uh, I think, is another one. That, that, you know, he is an undrafted rookie. You and I are both kind of you know mesmerized by his athleticism on tape as well as at the minicamp. He is one of those guys, Corbin, and I think I mentioned this before. When I watched him on tape, my jaw just dropped. Uh, I thought that there were scouts that, that should be, you know, kind of turning in their resignation because how this kid did not get invited to the combine, how he fell all the way through the draft, I, I don't know. Because this guy is an unbelievable athlete. He is not necessarily the cleanest fit in that 3-4 defense, what I talked about before. But we're talking about undrafted free agents at this point and a sleeper. I think that Vi Jones is absolutely a candidate uh, to be that undrafted free agent who winds up making Seattle's opening day roster. They do that all the time. So, so to me, Vi Jones, along, along with Iwabuye, uh, I butchered it that time. Um, but uh, I think that he, th those are the guys that absolutely we should be talking about as, until when it comes to the sleeper, assuming, of course, that you can pronounce their names. Yeah, that's the key. If you can't pronounce the name, you can't pick him as a sleeper. So today I'm going to pat myself on the back because I don't know if I'll be able to say his name on tomorrow's episode if it's mentioned, but I was able to do it today. So I'm going to stick with Iggy for now. And 
Vi Jones would have been one of my three possible selections there. I think there's a lot of sleepers in this group, and that makes it a fascinating one. And that leads to our last category here, our bubble candidate, the player that is squarely on the bubble. And like the running back position, I think that there are several guys that we maybe just mentioned that could be in this group. I'm going to go with a local kid, though, that got cut last year. And a lot of times when that happens, you don't get any other opportunities. And yet, Lakeem Williams is right back with the Seahawks. And this guy is one of the strongest linebackers, pound for pound, that I have ever seen. The video is on Seahawks Twitter. Watch this guy squat. I think he had two small houses on the bar. And it was simply mesmerizing. And he's a really good athlete has played a little bit off edge before. He can cover. There's some blitz potential with him. I think he could be a really solid special teams player. So he has stuck with it. Last year, things didn't work out for him. Spent some time on the practice squad. Now, with Bobby Wagner being gone and some of the question marks with guys coming off ACL injuries, if Lakeem Williams has a really good OTA and minicamp and builds momentum in the preseason, he is a sleeper when we're talking 53-man roster. And so I think he's absolutely a bubble guy. If some of the other players come back healthy, I just don't know that the numbers game will allow him to make the team. But unlike a year ago, I don't think it's a pipe dream for Lakeem Williams to be playing on Sundays for his hometown team. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, and when you first mentioned hometown player, I thought, uh-oh, he's going to steal my guy. Uh, and, and, of course, you, you mentioned instead Lakeem Williams, who, because he is the athlete that he is, because he still has that untapped potential, at least in my mind, I think that he's got a little bit of a head start on my guy. And I, I say that kind of in quotes here. Ben Burkirvin, um, you know, from the University of Washington, you kind of hinted at all the production that he had at UW. Um, you know, when, when Seattle selected him, I thought that he was kind of an odd selection for them. Um, and I wonder if he is a guy that is, I believe he is a better fit in that four, three scheme. I, I think that you need to protect him. That was always what my biggest concern of, of him uh, and his tape at UW and certainly during his time in Seattle, even prior to the injury. Um, was that I just didn't see a guy who was physically big enough to be able to take on blockers, shut them in the hole and be able to make plays. And, and that is critical in today's game. Now his instincts, his speed, uh, you know, that does translate well. And there's a lot of clubs out there that have that 3-4 defense, but also keep another really athletic linebacker to be able to kind of run and play coverage. And that's something that BBK can do. But he is going to have to prove that he is over that ACL. He is going to have to be Seattle's best linebacker on special teams, uh, something that he and Cody Barton have both been shown an ability uh, to do Nick Ballore as well over the last couple of years. But that is critical. Uh, for BBK, I think, to make this roster this year. Um, and so he is firmly on the bubble in my mind, even albeit that he is an all-American all kind of a player from the University of Washington. And we both had him on the bubble a year ago before he injured his knee. Now, Bobby Wagner not being here maybe opens the door for him to have that roster spot, but he's going to have to earn it with some of the names that we just threw out there, some of the young guys like Levi Jones and Lakeem Williams that are on the roster that are hungry that aren't coming off of severe knee injuries. So yeah, he is going to be tested here over the next few months and he's going to have to get back on the field. He's not doing anything right now at OTAs. They're not forcing the issue in May, but he's going to want to get out there soon to try to reclaim a roster spot because it's not guaranteed for him at this point. 
As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast for your second listen. The schedule may be dark, but the NFL never stops, and neither does Locked On NFL. Get your insights and opinions from hosts, including Ross Jackson, Chris Carter, and Tony Wiggins, plus local Locked On NFL hosts repping all 32 squads. There's no offseason for real fans, so make sure you're subscribed to the Locked On NFL podcast on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Check out Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week. Video form on YouTube. Coming up on our Thursday episode, Rob and I will be tackling your questions in our weekly mailbag segment, and we'll continue our position-by-position review going back to the quarterback position, the biggest question mark for the Seahawks heading into the 2020 season. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Go Hawks.